you all. Uh, I always look forward to, to worshiping with you. And uh, there's something always special about being outside, too. <laughs> I don't know, something about just being under the grand sky and seeing the glory of the Lord and His creation and uh, coming together to worship that God of all creation, um, the sovereign King of the universe. I've been um, meditating on First Peter a lot over the last ha- half a year or so. Uh, in fact, the last uh, three sermons have been based on First Peter. We looked at uh, being born again to a living hope and what it looks like, the necessity of the rebirth and also the living hope that we're born into. Uh, and after that, we talked about the uh, holiness of God and our calling to be holy and how God has made us uh, and anointed us as a kingdom of priests and what that looks like uh, for us as a kingdom of priests to be holy. Uh, and then the last time we looked at suffering and how uh, God calls his people to suffer with him and that there is a blessing in joining with Christ in suffering and that we do not have to, to run away from suffering, but we can entrust ourselves to God when it comes. So um, I wanted to talk this week, uh, looking at the end of um, the last chapter of First Peter, which has been on my mind a lot recently, particularly uh, in our particular cultural moment, uh, we live in a nation and a culture where this month is celebrated by many as Pride Month. And um, that's what we hear from our culture. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, we have a messages that say um, we should celebrate pride, whereas the Word of God stands in stark contrast when it calls us to be clothed in humility. And just like the the two women, folly and wisdom, in Proverbs 9, call out to the children of men, so we have the gods of this age calling out to to be proud, to be loud, to uh, exalt yourself, to, to cast off oppression, while the, the, the word of the Lord, which stands forever, calls us to lose our lives in order to find it. It calls us to to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily. It calls us to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we see two very different um, messages and so, so today I wanted to meditate with you on the scriptures and meditate on what the Lord says about a humility, and in particular that calling in First uh, Peter chapter 5, where um, the command is to clothe ourselves with humility, to be clothed with, with humility. So... I wanted to uh, take, uh, just look at at, uh, several different aspects. And the first thing I want to do is look at um, the attitude of humility. Uh, And and considering 1 Peter, uh, the whole letter, uh, what does it mean to clothe ourselves with humility? Well, what is the attitude of humility? And for this, I want to look at, just briefly consider Philippians chapter 2, which we read just a, a few moments ago. 
And I think this is one of the best examples of humility in all of Scripture. And uh, let me grab the um, bulletin here. Um, I, I've got an ESV, and I know you guys use the NKJV, which is also a great translation. I, I, in college, I started memorizing Scripture in the ESV, and I kind of got stuck in that. <laughs> so that's kind of my um, go-to. But, um, but here we have in, in uh, Philippians... Did I lose it? Oh, here it is. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but, and here's the contrast, in lowliness of mind. Let each of you esteem others better than himself. So we see a juxtaposition between lowliness of mind and then doing things out of selfish ambition or conceit. It continues, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, being outward oriented. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? In Christ Jesus. And there's a a beautiful description of our Lord. It says, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a bondservant, a doulos, a a slave. We live in a day and age where uh, serving someone is seen as just any kind of service is seen as as degrading. But Christ himself took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And what's the description of this humility, of, his, of this humbling of himself? He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So in that humility, he becomes obedient to the Father. He's in the form of a servant. Therefore, here's the result. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So in this humbling of, him, of himself, we see him being brought low, being made low, intentionally being made low. And as a result, the Father uh, exalts him after he is obedient to even death on a cross. Um, So in the attitude of humility, we see this lowering of oneself. Humility is a lowering of oneself. It's the opposite of self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. Christ did not exalt himself. He humbled himself, and then the Father exalted him. So it's an attitude of of, um, lowering oneself and allowing God to do the exaltation. Now, what things exalt us, what things encourage us from self-exaltation? What are the things that would discourage us from self-exaltation and encourage an attitude of humility. Well, it's looking not to ourselves, but it's looking to Christ and His glory, and looking to the exaltation of Christ. First Peter says, it quotes from, from Isaiah, all flesh is like grass. The glory uh, is the glory of man 
And the glory of the flesh is like the flowers of the field, here for a moment and gone. Everything that we inherit from Adam, from our, our natural bodies to our corrupt heart, our poisonous lives, all of those things are things that we inherited from the first Adam. And all of those things are passing away. James says that the desires of this world are passing away. These things are passing away. But God, what is it that remains forever? It's the word of the Lord. And it says this word of the Lord is the gospel that was preached to you. And in the very beginning, it says you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, the glory of man is passing away. But the glory of Christ that we're born again into is what lasts forever. And in that, that first, the first chapter where it speaks of us being born again to a living hope, but it says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that this tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold or silver, which uh, though tested by fire, will still perish, um, that the genuineness of your faith might result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus. At the revelation of Jesus. What does that make you think of? Think of revelation. The revelation that John writes in, I think it's the fifth chapter, where he's, he sees the vision of all creation singing the new song to the one on the throne and to the Lamb, saying, to you be all glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving. So the glory is ultimately to Christ. It's all to Him. So when we consider who is exalted, is it we who are exalted now or is it Christ who is exalted now? It is Christ who is exalted. And even our suffering will result in praise and honor and glory, which ultimately goes to Jesus. Uh, just before that, those verses in the first chapter, it says, um, you who are being guarded through faith, being guarded by God, so even our faith and our perseverance through those trials and through the various trials and sufferings, even that is God's power that is doing it, resulting in praise and honor and glory to Him. So what is it that discourages, discourages us from self-exaltation? It's considering the exaltation of our Lord, the glory of our Lord Jesus. We also consider, when we consider who we are, we can think about uh, in chapter 2, Peter talks about, he, and this is another quote from Isaiah, um, you who had not received mercy have now received mercy. So formerly, we had not received mercy. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But as, as our brother just read, from, read to us from Titus, it was not by works of righteousness done by us, but it was according to His mercy that we have been saved, that we have been saved through the washing of regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit. So our, our rebirth and our new identity all points to Him, to what He has done. And what is it that is our, our calling as the new creations, being made new, being born again to a, a living hope, being made new in Christ? What is our calling? Our calling, as we had looked at, had looked at um, in a, a couple of uh, sermons ago, our calling is to be a kingdom of priests, those 
who proclaim the excellencies of who? Of ourselves? No, of Him who called us out of darkness, out of the darkness that we were in, and called us into His marvelous light. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We have received mercy from Him. Uh, Chapter 2 also calls us sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. In an age of of clamoring for rights and and, uh, vying for power, we're called sojourners and exiles. And, And Hebrews reminds us to not lose the confidence that we had at first. It says, uh, when we rejoice in even the, plund- even the plundering of our possessions, and we rejoice with those in prison for their faith, it's because we ourselves knew we had a better and lasting possession. So we, we gladly accepted the plundering of our possessions. We weren't striving to hold on to them. We said, our greatest possession is the Lord Himself, and no one can take the Lord from us. So this humility that we're called to, to be clothed in, to clothe ourselves in humility, is to not look to exalt ourselves. It's not look to exalt our rights and what, what rightfully belongs to us, but it's to look to the glory of Christ and also the goodness of His mercy towards us in our new identity. Any glory that we share with in Christ is not from our own doing. It's purely by His mercy. You know, it, as we look to Christ in our humility, uh, in that chapter 5, let me turn back to this. Oops. There's an exhortation to the elders. It says, To the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So it's interesting, he points to the sufferings of Christ first, and then it's the glory that is revealed. But he says, um, shepherd the flock of God willingly, not for dishonest gain, not for yourself, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You can, you can think of, of that time that Jesus talked to his disciples when they were all uh, arguing with one another, who was the greatest? And Jesus came to them and said, <laughs> I can imagine he must have been just shaking his head and saying, the Gentiles, this is the way of the world. They want to lord it over one another. But in the kingdom of God, the one who is greatest is the one who is least. Whoever would be great among you must be servant to all. That paradox of faith is totally contrary to the way of the world. Being clothed in humility is not seeking to lord it over others, but it's seeking to serve others. And it says, um, shepherd the flock of God. And then he says, when the chief shepherd appears, so he, he refers to, to Jesus himself as the chief shepherd. And when we look to Christ as our chief shepherd, we see true humility. He who lowered himself from heaven, made himself nothing, and became obedient even to death on a cross. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 
who lays down his life for the sheep. Um, so, so the attitude of humility is not looking to exalt ourselves, but is looking to the exaltation of Christ and all of his glories. And that leads to the action of humility. What does it look like to live out humility? It starts with having the mind of Christ, but what does it look like when we live it out? Well, it's interesting in, in, in uh, verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility. You see these, these two things put together. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. And thinking back to the Philippians passage, Jesus, it says, He humbled Himself and became obedient or submissive to the Father, even unto death. So humility is linked with submission. For, um, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as you consider the entire letter of Peter... You have multiple places uh, where we see this picture of, of submission. In chapter 2, verse 12, or I'm sorry, verse 13, it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, oh, sorry. or to governors, or to those who sent are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So you see a call to submit to authority. A call to submit to authority. So the action of humility is submitting to authority. Submitting to the leaders that God has placed in our lives. In... Um, In verse 18, we see a call to servants to be submissive to your masters with all fear. And this is a hard thing that, that uh, Peter says next. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. When Christ humbled himself and became submissive to the Father, it included suffering wrongfully at the hands of men. But he committed himself, he entrusted himself to who? To him who judges righteously. And again, this is so contrary to our culture today. Our culture wants... Wants, wants people to to um, to fight against you know pride. I was reading uh, where did Pride Month come from, and uh, they said that the reason they picked June is because back in 1979, I believe it was, uh, I was in the 70s, maybe 69. Um, there was a particular riot that broke out, and it was a group of people. Uh, who uh, rioted against what they felt was uh, unfair and unjust uh, oppression by, by police. And it says that they, they fought back and they, um, 
you know, it describes, in this particular article I was reading about, it describes how they fought back. And it was a very, um, it was not the humble submission that this talks about. A very different attitude than what we are called to as Christians. So you see, be submissive to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. We entrust ourselves to God. And it's not because we will just suffer interminably, but cry. we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Um, any suffering, un- unjust suffering, will be repaid, but in God's time. Looking back at the chapter 5 in First Peter, chapter 5, um, verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God. When we humble ourselves and submit to authorities, we're ultimately humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God because God Himself is the one with all power. And it says that, so that He may exalt you, when? In due time. In due time. Another translation says, at the right time. When God sees fit. It was in due time that Jesus came, that the the Word was made flesh and came to dwell among us in due time, in God's perfect wisdom in His time. But we entrust ourselves to Him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It is mine to repay. We entrust ourselves to God. Um, in chapter 3, verse 1, continuing with that, that theme of submission, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. By fear of whom? By fear of God. Isaiah, in the passage we read earlier, the Old Testament lesson, it says, This is the one to whom I look, says the Lord. This is the Lord who says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. All things my hand has made. Where is the house that you would build for me? Where is the place of my rest? All, for all those things my hand is made. And it's by my power and my will that they exist. But on this one I will look, says the Lord. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Not a proud and arrogant spirit. A haughty spirit. A poor and contrite spirit. And who trembles at my word. That call to be submissive in, in verse, uh, chapter 3 of First Peter, verse 1, uh, it says, in, ver, in verse 2 rather, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, by fear of the Lord, showing that you entrust yourself to the Lord. And it says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Uh, who would agree that our culture is obsessed with outward appearance? <laughs> right? But he says, no, this is not, this is not humility. But it is the, rather, let, the, uh, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of what? Of a spirit of pride? No, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, it's interesting, if you recall what happened with Abraham. When Abraham was going to Egypt, he left the promised land uh, because of the, the famine. And the scripture doesn't say that God told him to go to Egypt at that point. So, um, I can... I, I wonder if perhaps this is, that was not out of a heart of faith, but out of a heart of fear. Um, but he went to Egypt, and he had Sarah, his wife, with him, who was very beautiful, and he was afraid that he would be killed. He, would, he was afraid that he would be killed because his wife was so beautiful. Uh, he was afraid he might be killed so that his wife could, would be, take, could be taken um, and made the wife of, of the Pharaoh there at the time. So what did he do? Did he entrust himself to God? No. He said, all right, Sarah, we're going to pretend to just be brother and sister. All right? And what happened? Sarah was taken away, and he was, Abraham was not killed. Because the Pharaoh thought, oh, okay, this is just her brother. She's not, uh, he's not going to, it's not a big deal. We'll just take her. Sarah could have said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Sarah entrusted herself to God. In submitting to Abraham, she entrusted herself to God. And was she molested? God was her protector. God caused the, 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 uh, the plague to come upon Pharaoh. And God revealed to Pharaoh, you have touched another man, or you are planning on touching another man's wife. And God stopped Pharaoh because Sarah feared the Lord and she entrusted herself to, Abraham, uh, to the Lord rather than uh, to mere man. Um, so that submission, that... Uh, as we saw in, in chapter 5, the submission is com connected with humility. And in that humility, that lowering of oneself, we're entrusting ourselves to God. We're entrusting ourselves to God and not looking to take vengeance for ourselves, but allowing God, who judge, judges righteously, to, to, um, to judge and to protect and to preserve us. And then finally in verse uh, 7 of chapter 3, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. What do we see in Revelation? All creation giving the one on the throne and the Lamb all glory, praise, and honor and blessing. Giving honor to Christ. And so husbands are called to give honor to their wives. Not to exalt themselves. Right? Just as the elders were told not to act as lords over those in your care, but to act as servants. And as husbands, we're not to act as lords over our wives, but to be servants, as Ephesians also tells us, to, to uh, serve our wives and to lay down our wives as Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church. So husbands are also called to honor their wives. Um, So, in the action of humility, we submit to authority, we entrust ourselves to God, and as we entrust ourselves to God, um, we, we do not fear man. We also do not repay evil for evil, and we do not revile 
as we are being reviled. In uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, we also see this example. In verse 22, it says, uh, or verse 21, For to this you were called to to suffer, uh, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. He did not threaten. And again, um, and thinking of our day and age, our culture, our cultural moment. Last summer, we saw lots of riots all over the, the country. And what was it? People seeing uh, what, they, um, what they determined to be unjust suffering. And what was the response? To threaten. To threaten and to revile in return. What was Christ's response to his unjust suffering? It was not to threaten. And that threaten is that uh, the speaking uh, words, uh, speaking harsh words uh, with mouth in, in Acts 4, it says that the, the uh, leaders in Jerusalem, it says they, they threatened or they warned. It's the same Greek word there. They warned, they said, let us warn them not to speak any longer in this name. Let us, uh, and that the idea, the connotations of that uh, harsh speech. <clears throat> but Christ did not revile in return. He did not threaten in return, but, but, but maintained a position of humility and trusting himself to God. And uh, the last verse of chapter 4 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So, it's, so as we walk in humility, we are entrusting ourselves to God, even in suffering. And what's the outcome of humility? Well, let's look at verse 6 again of chapter 5 in First Peter. After it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, it says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That he may exalt you in due time. It's interesting what uh, Peter mentions in, in verse 1 of chapter 5. He calls himself a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. We already looked how all praise, honor, glory, and blessing goes to God and to the Lamb in Revelation. But we are actually called to be partakers of that glory of Christ. The glory doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes in as much as we are in Christ, as much as we are connected with Christ, as we, are, as we die to our old selves, are made new uh, and reborn into the family of God. We, uh, we are, uh, our union with Christ makes us partakers of that glory. This is the glory that will be revealed. It's a future glory that we look to. So we look, don't look to, to um, clamor for glory now and strive for it now, but we look to the future, to the glory that will be revealed at the coming of Christ. In verse 10, 
and says, but may the God of all grace, again, who receives grace? Is it the, the proud or the humble? It's the humble. May the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory, it's an eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, so you see that juxtaposition of eternal glory and suffering for just a little bit. May He perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And again, I'm, you know, we're reminded of, of Philippians chapter 2 where it says that He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. So the outcome of our humility is that in due time, we will be exalted with Christ. So as, as we consider the call to clothe ourselves with, with humility, we want to remember to have an attitude of humility, not considering ourselves more important than anyone else, not looking to, to strive for our own rights, not to strive to get our own honor to exalt ourselves, but to consider others more important than ourselves. To consider Christ's glory and honor the thing to, to, um, to, to strive after. And sometimes that, that means even suffering. This is chapter 1 said, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the test of genuineness of your faith might result in glory and honor at the coming of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. So, we look not to our own interests. We entrust ourselves to God. We do not revile in return. We do not threaten others, but we entrust ourselves to God. We entrust ourselves to God by submitting to authorities He's placed in our lives. We submit ourselves to God by enduring the suffering that He may allow by His sovereign hand into our lives, knowing that in due time we will be exalted with Christ. So the question for us as believers, uh, as, as we're surrounded by an age, by a culture, that, tell, that tell, tells us and teaches us and pushes us to be proud and loud. We look to the, to the example of Christ. And we clothe ourselves with humility rather than pride. In practical terms for us in everyday lives, sometimes it's easy for us, and I speak from personal experience, as we fight against the old nature, it's easy to become consumed with our own interests in small ways. And uh, even for me as a husband, even uh, these last couple days, as I've been, uh, was preparing, getting ready for today, there were times where I thought, well, I've got to get this ready. Um, I don't need to be bothered by, by the needs in the home right now. <laughs> and um, there were times when I was tempted and um, even succumbed to, <laughs> to pride in the sense of um, not considering others interests of importance uh, in my own home. So as Christians, we want to seek to live that humility out in our everyday, everyday lives, with, within our homes, within our churches. Who is it in our church body that needs ministry? 
who's suffering, who's hurting, who has the needs, and how can I can I fill that? And and I really believe that we're moving into a time of increased persecution. Um, I ju- there was just a situation, uh, a brother, um, a good dear brother of ours that lives near us, who. Um, He's on the verge of losing his job. There's been talks back and forth. He initially was told that he couldn't continue to work unless he first agreed to not talk about Jesus in the workplace. Um, but um, I, I believe persecution it will be increasing. But as it increases in our nation, are we going to entrust ourselves to God? Or are we going to be uh, consumed with trying to... Uh, maintain our own rights? Will we gladly accept the plundering of our possessions knowing that we ourselves have a better possession and an abiding one? Or will we give everything we have, time, money, and energy to preserving our possessions, our temporary, that which is passing away? So this call to humility, I believe, is very timely for us in our, in our particular nation and culture. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him, by His grace to, to empower us by His Holy Spirit to clothe ourselves with humility. Lord God, we thank You so much for the example that You've given us in Jesus Christ. Not only is in His example, but in His work. For it is by His work, it is by His humbling of Himself to the point of death on the cross, Father, that You have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Your marvelous light, We thank you for that. Father, we also want to walk in his example. To walk uh, in humility, to be clothed in humility. To be those who are uh, contrite in spirit and who tremble at your word. And not those who have a haughty spirit and tremble at the world, at the threats of the world. Those who entrust themselves to you, Lord. We cannot do it on our own, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us. Continue to to, uh, guide us by your word, Lord, which endures forever. That we would not be led astray by the gods of this world. That we would not be influenced by the messages preached by the gods of this world. But that we would be led by your word, which endures forever. We thank you for this word that you bless us with. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the name above every name. Amen.